So this question is, are there meditation styles or kinds which are suited for specific groups of meditators? In parentheses, there are so many flavors of vipassana practices. I mean, technique, you know, uh, <coughs> the two categories are samatha vipassana and uh, samatha is uh, concentration practice. We develop jhanas and they get uh, developing uh, positive factors. Vidaka Vichari Piti Sukha Ekagata. And these are, you know, you go for, take a subject, but you concentrate on an object. So that is uh, Samatha. And then as you absorb into the object, then you experience a kind of a happiness and one pointedness. And then Vipassana is a uh, is looking into the nature of things. So that's, you know, the four foundations of mindfulness, four noble truths, paticca uh, samuppada, four stages, ten fetters. All these are skillful means to investigate experience. Then there's, you know, so the what what I'm interested in is is right is the developing right attitude because then the then whatever technique you use it will work I mean it will be okay but if you're you know if you're still using even the best techniques with the self attitude then like, you know, how to use it. You know, techniques, they can vary. You know, so certain styles are different teachers. The teachers have different ways of teaching and that. So it's not that, you know, say one is better than the other. Even though many teachers claim their way is the only way or the <laughs> theirs is better than the rest. But uh, that's still that's still uh, you know in the world of of uh, dualistic thinking, isn't it? If I say the way I teach is better than the rest, better always implies you know my I'm saying my my teaching, my method is better than somebody else's. You know, if you really look at that, that's full of self-view and dualistic thinking. Better always implies, you know. So, that is a way to, to uh, it's not a matter of, of um, being better, but, uh, you know, because the Buddha's teaching is about awakened consciousness. Now, this is not a method. If I try to give you a method to awaken, it's ridiculous. I'm practicing this method so I can awake. You know, awakenness is just like this. You don't, you don't need a method. You just do it. <laughs> So then, vipassana is is a uh, you know insight into now. In uh, now the, the the four noble truths, this this is the uh, fundamental teaching, the essential teaching uh, that the Buddha gave. Tamajaka Pavatana Sutta is the is uh, his first sermon after enlightenment. Now this is based on on suffering, the first noble truth uh, uh, translated generally as suffering or you know it's, it's 
it's not probably un, maybe unsatisfactoriness, but anyway, it's, it's the common human experience of dis, discontentment, dissatisfaction, stress. So now taking that, you know, now with each noble truth, there's three aspects. Now this is a reflective pattern. These three aspects convey the, the what you do with the with these with these noble truths. They're not they're not belief systems or things to grasp in themselves, but their suffering is not something you believe in. It's something you experience. You know, so if you you know you feel discontented or angry or hurt or resentful or greedy or want something you don't have or not want not want what you have so these are common to all human beings you know you know this is whether you're rich or poor male or female suffering is a common factor we all experience so there's nothing esoteric or special about it you know, it's the most banal, most ordinary thing that you could, that, uh, you know, of, co- of of a common human denominator. Whether you're uh, 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 from, you know, ancient India or modern Britain. You know, the rich experience it, the poor. And so this is, you know, suffering is, is then a noble truth, and then we think, what do we mean by noble? Yeah. Because usually we see suffering as something like a nasty fact, you know, we don't want it, what's noble about suffering? How, do we, how can I get rid of it? Whose fault is it? You know, we tend to blame our suffering on others. You know, I noticed for myself, you know, one of my egotistical characteristics is uh, something goes wrong. Whose whose fault is it? <laughs> it's almost automatic, you know, like whose fault is it? Somebody the 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 electricity went. Whose fault is it? <laughs> well, so this is uh, you know, this wanting to to find the fault with you know this inconvenience or this this flooding, the bad weather that uh, the last month and the flooding of central England. Whose fault is it? Tony Blair's, isn't it? (laughs) 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 Whose fault is it? And so this is, this is, you know, the the way we, we seek for, if we could get everyone to to not ever make a mistake and do everything right, then we wouldn't suffer. Is that? That's that's you know that's that's how absurd that desire is. So uh, putting it in the of an Aryan Aryan truth, the noble truth, the so noble truth, noble always implies, you know, rising up to something. If you're noble, you you. You're, you know, there's something nobility, noble silence is, is being responsible for silence. Not, you know, we think of noble silence. I remember, I mean, retreats where people go around. <laughs> you're not supposed to talk. <laughs> and you got a policeman. You get police on the retreat. You know, and they, they, they go into dormitories and they're not supposed. Thirty lashes. <laughs> Punishing. Well, that kind of silence isn't noble, is it? It's, it's, it's out of fear, you know. These uh, Gestapo are going to come and beat you up if you talk. But so noble silence is like, it is you know, it's, I'm responsible for my speech, for silence, for for the silence also. So I can use speech when. When I know it is uh, appropriate, but I'm not just, you know, like one can be, speech, control of speech is one of the more difficult ones to develop because 
you know, we just say things, blurt out things, and we have so many habits around speaking. <coughs> so noble truth is, you know, the, see, looking at suffering. You no, know, it says suffering should be understood. Now, this is what you do you know, to the w- w- reason why they, it's a noble truth is because you you're looking at it rather than just saying whose fault is it, and how do I get rid of it. You're you're looking at it. That's something maybe you spent your life trying to get rid of or blame on other people. You know, there's a lot of suffering and fear and, and mental things like that. We we spend our life trying to avoid or get rid of, run away from in some way or another. <clears throat> and we want happiness. We want security, happiness to be loved and appreciated and respected and all the good things. So, you know, that's what we want from life. But inevitably, suffering or dukkha is a common human experience. Because as long as there's ignorance of truth, then we, you know, we, even with the very best conditions, we still suffer, uh, you know, from, because the suffering is, is is always a sense of separation, of something missing, a lack of something in our lives, sense of not being complete. Uh, there's a piece missing in the jigsaw puzzle, or <laughs> there's, you know, even if you, you know, which uh, you can see as maybe, you know, we tend to blame our, there's things we need to go through uh, psychoanalysis so that we we feel complete but on the ego level you'll never be complete you're never going to have a an ego that you that will give you total satisfaction because <coughs> the ego itself or sakyaditi is dukkha is suffering it's it's its very nature is unsatisfactory so understanding now this is this this is why we we're turning we're looking at it and and studying it not to to say it's my suffering and and I've got to be responsible for my that's still the ego isn't it it's, it's t- looking and observing letting it allowing yourself to suffer but in a in this receptive way rather than than just uh, stiff upper lip endurance because life is tough and you got to do the best you can with it. <laughs> or whatever way you might that you, you might deal with suffering. But this is, uh, you know, observing this sense of unsatisfactoriness or something wrong something incomplete, loneliness. Not knowing who you are, not feeling you belong in any place, uh, not finding the, the right person for your life, not, you know, or finding somebody, but then after you, so many years there, you're bored with them. <laughs> 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 so, uh, and we think there's a Cinderella, Cinderella fairy tale, isn't it? That we find the right person, you know, the glass slipper fits on her foot, and she's the one meant for me, and we live happily ever after. That's called a fairy tale. <laughs> <laughs> That's not, that's not Dhamma. <coughs> so, so suffering then is uh, <coughs> to be understood and then, 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 so the first, the first statement is there is suffering. You know, you just know there's suffering. I feel somehow discontent or something that this, there is suffering. <laughs> Then the second insight is suffering should be understood. Now this second insight is 
is is a prescription. The other is st- say, stating the the fact that there is suffering, not as some scale of everything suffering in a kind of blanket statement, but notice the sense of your own dis-ease or feeling misunderstood or unappreciated or lonely or incomplete. There is suffering, should be understood. Now then understand is, is what you do, what to understand. You have to look at something to understand. If you're just always trying to blame suffering on somebody else or get rid of it, you'll never understand it. You just react to it, which most of us do, you know, and feel incomplete. We, we go and eat something. They talk now a lot about obesity as a problem in modern life. <coughs> because, uh, you know, eating is one way of... Uh, getting away from suffering for a while until you get too fat. (laughs) 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 Then you've got a different kind of suffering. (laughs) So this is is, uh, like all these different ways of distracting oneself from feeling lonely or unappreciated or unloved or lost or incomplete, misunderstood. Or it can be, you know, really, you know, like the neighbors, uh, you've got terrible neighbors who who throw their rubbish in, in your back garden or they play, uh, they, they play horrible rock music all night long, uh, you know, that it, it makes it so, so you can't sleep or then this is they then you blame it on the neighbors and say it's their fault they're the one. but actually you know when we're with because this is a noble truth of suffering, even though the neighbors are being uh, uh un you know difficult and unpleasant and uh, and terrible to us. It's not, it, you know, the suffering really isn't from them. It's from being angry with them, not, you know, resenting it. Spending your time blaming them is suffering. If we could get rid of those neighbors, and then you start, you know, thinking of calling them mafia. <laughs> <laughs> Years ago, when we w- wanted to get permission to build a temple, we had some neighbors. I thought of calling the mafia one, <laughs> but because of Bana di Mata, I didn't. <laughs> so understanding, you know, the the anger about somebody else's behavior or the the uh, you know feeling persecuted, even if it's justified. But so much of our suffering isn't so much uh, you know that as just feeling of of life is meaningless, or I don't know who I am, or I feel lonely, or uh, just unhappy, or incomplete. And so this this pattern, the the statement, the prescription, and the result of understanding. So this is this is this is the pattern of reflective awareness, isn't it? To reflect on something. It isn't analytical, like bla- you know, finding the cause of suffering through in the intellectual analysis, but through looking at yourself and your jitta being aware. So this is, you know, and the, the uh, other noble truths uh, follow that same pattern, this reflective style. You know, you, you're taking something quite ordinary like suffering and investigating it. Reflecting on it, using it. 
So then you see the causes of suffering are not the neighbors, inconsiderate neighbors, but uh, attachment to desire, not wanting those neighbors, wanting to get rid of the neighbors, <laughs> not wanting the the inconvenience. And this is the suffering we create. Now the, the neighbors, <coughs> you know, maybe terrible people and and uh, all that, but that's their problem. You know, how do we deal with suffering in terms of wi developing wisdom is through these Four Noble Truths. So notice how much, you know, like like um, the Second Noble Truth is the cause, the, the, the origin or the cause of suffering is, is this attachment to desire. Sensual desire, you know, wanting pleasure and pleasant experiences through the senses, through the eyes, ears, sense of smell, taste, body, mind, wanting the pleasurable sense sense experiences, desire for what they call dagama dhanha sense desire, and then bhava dhanha's desire for becoming. And so this, this also, this is, you know, Gamadana kind of speaks for itself. But uh, Bawadana can be quite altruistic. <coughs> Wanting to become enlightened. Now that's a good desire, isn't it? I want to become enlightened. I want to be free from selfishness and ignorance. You know, but it's still coming from, you know, attachment to that desire. I'm not getting to the cause of suffering. I'm merely uh, clinging to a sense that I would like something I don't have yet. I would like to become a person who's enlightened. And so, you know, so even with this, this altruism and and high-mindedness, even though the desire is certainly high-minded, it's still bhavadanha for becoming, and then vipavadana desired to get rid of, to destroy or annihilate or reject. <coughs> so, uh, like trying to get rid of the the um, what you're feeling, trying to get rid of anger or loneliness or whatever is is vipavadana get rid of negative thinking you should maybe somebody says you should you should think positively you you've got to get rid of your negative thinking and then you then you you try to get rid well, what you do is usually suppress it and feel guilty when it comes back on you you know i i don't want to think like this how can I get rid of these terrible thoughts, negative thoughts? And then you try to suppress, try to suppress, and and then you know you can't sustain Wipawadanha very long, and then it, what you've suppressed bounces right back in your face. And then you, oh no, oh no, <laughs> that sense of despair. <laughs> <coughs> so that's why <coughs> in this in Vipassana, looking at these three kinds, I found this so insightful. Getting to know what dana is or desire, because in my early experiences, meditation was there's so much bawadana vipawadana in it. Uh, you know, a real control freak. You know, I wanted. You know, I wanted to attain and I wanted to get rid of negative thoughts. Wanted my thinking mind to stop. Wanted to stop thinking. Well, all this seems like, you know, what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to 
get rid of your defilement. Even they, they talk like that. In Thai, they think, kakilate, and kill your defilements. That's, uh, that's pretty uh, heavy language in English, isn't it? Kakilate. <coughs> so, so that, you know, it's like, but kakilate tends to or kill your your desires, your wicked desires, is, uh, you know, that's vipavadana. That is, if you want to kill your desires. <laughs> so, and so this is, knowing this, this, in, this awareness, then you, you can actually observe desire. <coughs> desire is is a is a, is an object in consciousness. It's not, you know, it's not ultimate reality. It arises and ceases. Dunha arises and ceases according to conditions. So this is why, with emphasis on mindfulness, is being aware of desire. You know it. You you understand it. You you know exactly what it is. You don't. You're not getting rid of it. You're just understanding it, recognizing it, so that it doesn't delude you. I mean, this realm we're living in is a desire realm. These bodies are desire bodies. Isn't that the human body is, is, you know, its very nature is to desire things. So you know, you, got, you see things and you hear and smell, taste, touch. Sexual desire, natural to the to this human body. That's how we got here. <laughs> so I mean, it's it's uh, you know, it's not if we're going to kill off sexual desire. That you know usually ends up as suicide, killing yourself, killing your body. <coughs> but no. Uh, Killing, uh, you know. So the, 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 in this four noble truth sequence, it's not, it's not judgmental, like like uh, to destroy anything, but to understand and let go of. Notice the terminology used in these, in the in the four noble truths. Understanding is the first one. Understanding suffering, letting go of desire. So letting go is not killing it, but letting it go. And to let go of desire, you have to know what it is. You can't. You might like the idea of letting go of desire, but if you don't know what a desire is, how can you let go of it? You're trapped in, you know, the desire to let go of desire. You go around with that one. So this is where, you know, desire should be understood, should be let go of. So in this practice, uh, you know, the <coughs> this way of letting go is not suppressing desire. It's not like pushing it away or resisting or trying to kill it off, but investigating it. So in uh, my own experience, you know, taking that, just to see how much vipavadana I had, wanting to get rid of things, not wanting things to be the way they are. And it is kind of righteous too. It had a righteous quality, you know, being right. You should, bad thoughts are bad. You shouldn't have them. You're a, you're a monk. A good monk should have good thoughts. You know, there's a kind of logic there, isn't it? If you're a good monk, you have good thoughts. Bad monks have bad thoughts. It's very simple. <laughs> <laughs> but you can see it's a trap of the mind where you, you, uh, you know, you're, you're stuck with this dualism of good and bad. 
and this illusion that I am somebody called a something called a monk that shouldn't have these bad thoughts because monks should have good thoughts. So it's in Ajahn Chah used to call this true but not right, right but not true conundrum. It's kind of a koan, koan, you know. True but not right, right but not true. So this is this is where reflect you know, how do you analyze that, right but not true, true but not right, just on the you know, on the intellectual level. You think logically, well if it's true then it then it must be right. <laughs> but in, in intuitive awareness, you know, this is uh, something can be true but not right at the same moment. Now this takes this takes uh, satipanya rather than uh, uh, a clever uh, intellect. It's not analytical, but it's intuitive. So this sati sampachanya is intuitive, developing intuitive awareness, in which you're you're not you're not thinking about things, analyzing and with with the thinking mind, but you're observing the way things are. And to observe desire, you have to you know you 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 have to know what it is and let go of it. And it ceases. Desire has no permanent uh, ability to sustain itself. So this is the that which knows desire. Awareness of desire is not desire. Where when you think of yourself on a on the sakyaditi level, you know, the ego level, we usually identify very strongly with our desires. You know, you know, describe yourself, and you say, "Well, I like this, and I don't like that, and I want this, and I don't want that, and I approve of this, and I don't approve of that, and this is right. I want rightness. I want righteousness, and I want all evil to be banished from the universe, and I want uh, to only have good thoughts because good monks have good thoughts, and I don't want to have any bad thoughts." And a right but not true, true but not right. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> so you see, like pointing to this sati sampachanya is like a, it's a, it's a, it's universal intelligence. Use that, you know, to describe it. Universal intelligence. Like whether you, you know, you must recognize we live in a. You know, intelligence is universal. It's not. We we think of people as some are intelligent and some aren't, because uh, you know different levels of delusion or uh, whatever. Then we we think of you know if you have a high IQ, you're intelligent. You know, the the thing that would judge a certain kind of of intellectual ability, maybe. That particular people have, but but in terms of of sati sampachanya, sati this is universal. So this is this is why it, it it it's not cultivated through going to a university. It's not knowledge you acquire from books or from teachers or from outside yourself. It's innate, and so the only way we can recognize realize universal intelligence is is through awareness opening it's not an object it's it functions through through the consciousness consciousness with wisdom then rather than consciousness with ignorance you see from the from the ego level we're always operating we're conscious but we're operating always from the ego the sense of I'm this separate person. I'm this. Uh, I what I think and what I approve of and don't approve of. 
I become I can become very arrogant and very uh, righteous. You know how many religious people become righteous? You know, like they're talking about morality, and you think everybody should be moral. There should be no adultery. Good idea, isn't it? You shouldn't be sexually promiscuous. Uh, sex outside of marriage is is wrong. It's bad. And uh, we should be honest. We should never tell lies. And uh, and of course, it's the the family now. The to support the family and the traditional ways. You know, the the moral majority in the states. It's it's the the moral majority is oftentimes this. It's a kind of uh, right-wing, middle western, <laughs> uh, righteous uh, Christians, born-again Christians, and then they quote the Bible and and everything to support righteousness, but they don't know what they're doing actually. <laughs> you know, so they they haven't awakened. And, and are using universal intelligence, they're using beliefs they acquire or prejudices they acquire uh, from what they're told about God and Jesus and the rest so that, so that they can really be very cruel and mean and nasty in the name of righteousness, in the name of God. So that's how, you know, the tricks we can play, with, you know, through through being right and being good and being attached to, to these, these positive qualities. But that attachment to goodness is still attachment, is desire, is still desire and ignorance operating through that. So, so in the awareness then, uh, you know, this is, like switching on the light, where we can investigate. So this is this is universal intelligence. This is a uh, you know some something you acquire through reading the Tripitaka or the Bible or any other thing. It's it's uh, it's n- natural to us, and if, if if we allow universal intelligence to operate through this form. So that's usually, you know, letting, getting yourself out of the way, which I don't mean suicide. <laughs> but like, uh, get myself out of the way. My sakyaditi, isn't it? That what I think and feel and my view and my opinion and and this is, is a, I've got a, you know, I can recognize, I'm not trying to suppress the self or kill it off, but to recognize it, so it doesn't it doesn't block off, doesn't obstruct consciousness. So it's um, it's a kind of you know what what meditation is. Buddhist meditation really is about is developing, cultivating wisdom, not through acquiring wise sayings or or wise sounding words but through freeing ourselves from the delusions that we're attached to uh, that block off the natural flow of wisdom. So what am I saying here is you know in in the terms of of uh, say you know that this universe is it you know is this universe of big bang just start out of nothing there's no God or no creator, and so it just is a, a kind of accidental explosion and uh, millions of years ago, uh, and then we think, well, there must be a God that created it, because that's logical, isn't it? If it seems unlikely that that the this is just some kind of cosmic accident that has 
nothing behind, no intelligence or anything behind it. I'm trying to figure that one out. So the easiest way is to say God created it because, you know, in that way you can, we, you know, God, (coughs) at least we can believe in, in some good force in the universe. So God would be, you know, an intelligent force. But then we, you know, we aren't investigating any further than believing in something, in in, in a concept about ultimate reality. And then it, it takes on a form. So God becomes a, a patriarchal figure for most uh, monotheistic religions, isn't it? God is usually... Uh, male, patriarchal, we think of an old man up in the sky. Um, In the Old Testament, God is definitely patriarchal. And not very nice. Mark Twain said, this is the worst tyrant that ever existed. Mark Twain, the American writer, you know, he said the, the worst tyrant is God in the Old Testament. Well, when you read the Old Testament, it's true. I mean, it, you know, he sends the plague down and murders people right and left because they looked at some idol. <laughs> Jealous God, you know. <laughs> That's very scary. It's like Saddam Hussein. or. <laughs> So this is how how concepts can become, you know, when they're given forms, like God becomes a form, then it then it's limited to that form, because that's how the the, the conditioning is, you know, it's like the conditions all have their forms. They we can we can create images of them, we can conceive them, but the unconditioned you can't conceive. So logically, you think, well, Buddhists uh, believe in the unconditioned, so they don't believe in anything at all. And it sounds like it's lacking, and this it's all about lack and nothingness. Or is it universal intelligence? Well, this is where, in your own experiments, uh, you know, this this awareness, this mindfulness, is the is the path to the deathless. Mindfulness, this ability to be awake and aware in the present, is recognized and then cultivated, you know, like what I've been talking about about all all along, is is, uh, developing it. Not through technique, there's no technique to do it, but just recognize it. You know, it's not that you're never, you're not mindful, it's just you don't, you don't know what it is. You look it up in the dictionary and you find a definition, but you still don't know the reality of mindfulness till you recognize just this. Attention, attentiveness, listening, receptive listening, where we recognize or or realize the way it is. So this is, uh, you know, this is to be uh, experienced individually by the wise. (laughs) I can't do it for you. I would if I could, but I can't. But once you recognize, like it, it, you know, because it is natural, it, it, you know, this is like you surrender to it. So in the in this, uh, in my own experience in being a monk all these years, is this surrender of letting go, getting this, not trusting the ego anymore, not believing in what it says or all its views and opinions. 
surrendering to this sound of silence or to this this attentive this consciousness itself I mean I stop trying to think about it or figure it out or claim it on some personal attainment and just recognize <coughs> and then the then the first fetter is a sakyaditi personality view or generally use the word ego common and is used <coughs> in, in this common way now in a Freudian term but <laughs> but uh, good enough it just means that the created personality the way we attack identify with the body with the cultural conditions with the emotions we have with the memories we have <coughs> so this is uh, this this sakyaditi is is uh, the first fetter now a fetter is something that binds you to birth and death isn't it if you're fettered means you're kind of bound up you're not free <coughs> you know like manacles and handcuffs and chained to the wall in a dungeon or fetters <laughs> and so this the first fetter is this sakyaditi and this is an interesting one to contemplate you know i find when I'm observing the ego, it's it's interesting because it, it does, is it extreme. My ego goes to one extreme to the next, you know, and it <clears throat> it's vain and it's it can be intelligent, it can be rational, rational, sensible, it can be cool, it can be hot, it can be passionate it can be anything and uh, and so this um, it can be boring and stupid so that that this knowing of this is is uh, you know this awareness this switching the light on a floodlight onto the personality and, and so it's not judging the personality, because when you start judging your personality, it's, it's still your personality operating. If you see yourself as immature, inadequate, with all these kind of psychological words, you know, of, to define yourself as a manic depressive or <clears throat> or schizophrenic or alcoholic, or even normal. <laughs> Sometimes our egos are so inflated we think, well, I'm perfectly normal, nothing wrong with me. <laughs> it's you, nothing wrong with you. So even, even if I think I'm normal, it's still, it's kind of amusing to think, I'm normal and all the rest of you aren't. <laughs> that's, that's absurd, isn't it? It's even funny. It's what humor is about. Or I'm the only crazy person in this room. All the rest of you are normal, and I'm crazy. <laughs> it can work it both ways. But it's all about, like the pronouns, I am, this is mine, me and mine, and I should and I shouldn't, and what's right and wrong, good and bad, and all that. It goes on and on and on, and, and you listen to it, kind of complaining, blaming, Wanting something that doesn't have, not wanting the way it is, and then you, and by listening in this way, then wisdom is this this universal wisdom starts operating. You're seeing it, recognizing all conditions are impermanent. Because once you rec spot desire and know it, you know it. It's not self-sustaining. You know, you can think you always have desires uh, on a, on the ego level. I'm somebody just filled with desires all the time, even when I'm asleep. Uh, I'm just, you know, Mr. Desire. <laughs> 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 
No, you know, he can even be proud. You know, I have more desires than you'd have. <laughs> but, but that's not it, isn't it? It's just no, it's discern when there is desire and when there isn't. And to know when there is and isn't, this is discerning, this is panya. <clears throat> well, you, you know, you just, there's no desires, no desires are like this, and then desire, right, desires like this. So you're, you're not saying anything about it's really good, it's better to have, be somebody with no desires at all. Because that, you know, then you're, you know, that's an ideal maybe, to be completely, a person who's totally desireless. And, and that would be a nice ideal. But, but recognize, like when you're, this realm is a desire realm. So this body is a desire body. The senses operate, you know, they attract and they repel. You see something beautiful, you, you're attracted to it. You desire it, you see something ugly, you repelled by it, run away from it. That's just the way it is. That's the natural way of, of attraction, repulsion, pleasure and pain. That's not even personal. That's just the way this dualistic conditioned realm operates. But then you're, you're beginning to recognize that you're not that. You're not a dualistic conditioned person. You're not a helpless victim of your desires or of the of this planetary life you know we 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 this opportunity like this buddhist uh, teaching is a very skillful means to investigate consciousness in the in a human form the way you know the way you are and your karma is the way it arises and ceases <clears throat> we we learn from the way we are not from the way we'd like to be, but from whatever, you know, the way we our characters operate and our desires arise and cease and our fears and so forth. Because this awareness is not personal. It's not desire it's not created through desire. So desiring to be mindful You've missed the point, isn't it? I want to become a very mindful person. It's kind of ridiculous when you think. <laughs> but um, you say there is this, uh, the, you know, in the terms of reflective awareness, there is this, there is dukkha. There, there are the, there is the origin or the cause of suffering. There is cessation of suffering. There is the way of non-suffering. There is. So this is, this is not about personal personality, is it? It's just a, a factual statement. It's like there is the unconditioned. Atiyajatdang. There is the unborn. It's a fact. How do you know there is? <laughs> the Buddha said so in the scriptures. Well, I mean that that doesn't mean you know he could be wrong. You got to find out for yourself. <laughs> but the thing about that statement is that it, it's for reflection. It's not for the Buddha said so. Therefore, there is the unconditioned. We've got to believe in the unconditioned. And if you don't believe in the unconditioned, you're not a true disciple of the Buddha. And that is Sakyaditi, isn't it? That's uh, self-view again. So notice that uh, there is a unborn in Pali, Ati Ajatang. That's a that's a fact. But then, what can it be now in terms of experience through? Consciousness through this form, through this this form uh, you call Ajahn Sumedho. And so then, then more and more you 
you know, it helps you to center and focus on this, this awareness, recognizing this. It's real. Awareness is not, is not, uh, you know, a, a fantasy. It's functional. And it, and then in, then in uh, scriptures they have it, it's the path to the deathless. The deathless, the unborn, Ajatang, the deathless, Amaravati, the deathless realm. So this is uh, the deathless. Then is you know when you really understand this, this is this is it. Yeah, yeah, the true nature is deathlessness, and and then the. The Sakyaditi is all about, I'm going to die, I'm getting old. Uh, who, nobody loves you when you're old and gray. And uh, I don't have a pension. You know, I better not disrobe because I don't even have social security anymore. <laughs> I better, I can't disrobe because I... Who's going to take care of me? They'll throw me out and they'll be si- sitting with all the homeless tramps in London. <laughs> so that could be, you know, identity, the fear and the around being old and, uh, and that's Sakyaditi. You know, I am this body, uh, this old body. Uh, and and that's Sakyaditi. So awareness of it. So just just observing myself, thinking I am this old body. You know, the awareness of the thought I am this body. This awareness is not the thought, is it? And it's not the body. You know, with awareness you can you with uh, intuitive awareness you can observe your body. As as you experience it now, you know you, you don't even you don't need to even look at it. You just you know like ob- contemplating the posture sitting here. It's like this: the pressure of sitting. Right leg, left leg. Right hand, left hand. Just by you know thinking right hand uh, suddenly the consciousness the right hand is conscious. Comes into consciousness. With that Goenka technique, I remember, you know, where you sweep through and they go through this kind of routine where you, the top of your head and, and then you think top of my head. And they begin to notice the sensations up here they never noticed before. <laughs> <laughs> and all you have to think is to yourself is top of my head and then suddenly they're you can't, it's conscious. <laughs> well, I never was conscious of the top of my head like that. <laughs> or you can, you know, right forefinger. No, it's conscious. <clears throat> I'm not even looking at it. Eyes closed. Right forefinger. I mean, this is kind of magical in a way, isn't it? But this is, you know, bringing into consciousness just by, by you know, thinking of the parts of the body, not in terms of, no longer in terms of my forefinger and w- whether it's a beautiful forefinger or not. There's <laughs> <laughs> forefinger, and then it, it, you know, the, there's a, a kind of knowledge of it in consciousness picked up in the, the consciousness. So consciousness embraces the body, you see, rather than, than uh, is in the body. It's not the brain. So it's more like, like a, you know, I, I compare it to like a radio. You know, like a radio is a machine where you tune in to vibrations. 
The vibrations are not in the radio, are they? Radio 4 is not kind of living inside the radio. <laughs> you, just, you switch it on and then it contacts that, that particular station. So, so then it's like, like with, with having a human body. It's, like, it's, it's not like consciousness is inside the brain. But, you know, through, um, but every, you know, consciousness is everywhere. Well, this is a, this is one way of reflecting. Consciousness has no boundary everywhere. Everything is in consciousness. So the rocks, the flowers, the, the mosquitoes, the flies, the good people, the bad people, everything. Uh, Ordinary rocks, or this glass, or this tray, inanimate objects, furniture, it's all in consciousness. So consciousness is, receives everything. You know, it's not a discriminative function. It doesn't say, this doesn't belong in consciousness. Even no matter how perverse, or sinister, or atrocious, it still belongs. Just think of that. You know, you think things just like when I mean, we hear of of uh, perversions or atrocities, we think that shouldn't that shouldn't happen. Shouldn't be. But it it, it happens. It's in consciousness. And so consciousness is not a picking and choosing and selecting, preferring one one side over another. So it's right and wrong are received equally, good and bad. So when we're mindful, then we're, then we're, we're, we're recognizing, we're, 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 there's consciousness operating, but not from condition, attachment to conditions. And if we don't know this, then we tend to experience consciousness through, through the sense of myself, my life, my body, what I think, what I regard as right, and what I think is wrong, and so forth. Then, then I've, I'm creating this world uh, that I experience consciousness through, these, these kind of narrow uh, creations uh, that, I, that I'm bound to. I have no perspective on anything. I'm just caught in reactivity and and fear and and uh, views and opinions. So in in mindfulness, then then consciousness is you're letting go of conditions. So you're recognizing pure consciousness, in which banya can can operate, can guide us, and that's discerning, like discerning desire and non-desire. It's not saying non-desire is better than desire. So it's not annihilation. We're not trying to get rid, annihilate desire. Or the unconditioned is <coughs> better than the conditioned. doesn't apply. That's just how we, we, we grasp the terms and make preferences, form preferences. That's our ignorance again. But if you really appreciate this, then the Unconditioned is this consciousness in which the conditions begin and end, arise and cease. And then conditions can can have, you know, infinite variety, beautiful, ugly, good, bad, right, wrong. They all belong, everything belongs. Terrorists belong. Even though they're waging war, trying to annihilate terrorism from the world, they're actually increasing terrorism. The irony, isn't it? Through trying to annihilate terror, we create more terror. <coughs> so... Let's see.
The question on Buddhadasa used the term momentary nibbana. Yeah, because you know we we tend to like the word nibbana is an interesting word because it in, in Theravada Buddhism it's usually you know by Theravada Buddhists generally they're regarded as a highly attained state, like an arahant has realized nibbana, and that now you now you're taking the word arahant and nibbana, and these are put in this dualistic structure of thinking again. You know, you can't help it. So, Nibbana is uh, the, the highest happiness. So, it's higher than heaven. Christians go to heaven when they're good, but <laughs> Buddhists go to Nibbana, which is higher. It's better. <laughs> Nibbana is better than the Christian heaven. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's uh, ridiculous, isn't it? How we, we take the terminologies. And 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 put them in a con- in the in a context of being better or worse, where nibbana is a, is a you know is a, a recognized realizing non-attachment. So you have, you know, in insight practices, you have you have insights. And you recognize non-attachment is like this. It'll be a it can be quite powerful and then you'll start attaching again and then you think oh I it must it couldn't have been Nibbana because now look how attached I am and then you go back into the Sakya Ditti uh, self-criticism self-critical mode but maybe you di- you really did you know there was the reality of Nibbana in that moment but but then you you easily fall back into these the sakyaditi silabhata baramasa. So that's where the uh, you know the this uh, term instant and gradual enlightenment and and that is the uh, instant you can uh, there's enlightenment that then to really <coughs> uh, you know have confidence in being enlightened can be quite gradual because the, our karma tends to take us over very quickly. But once you've had an insight, it has a profound effect whether you realize it or not. Uh, you know, that you know, maybe quite you're unaware of. It has a, you know, it, it does, you know, whether you, you, you know, you think you're back in the same old egotistical horror show that you were before and and you know you lost it uh, but uh, you know that that's how the ego might uh, what what it might be saying to you but don't believe it that's not believing you know, I know what my, my ego is it lies it's not to be trusted